in just a few weeks' time, the nation will be celebrating the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, 70 years since she took over the British throne from her father, George VI, in 1952. And I'm sure that day in London and across the UK, and even possibly the Commonwealth, there was a stir. There was a stir by a change of the Queen coming to the throne. The Queen would go on to have a large coronation ceremony at Westminster Abbey just over a year later, costing an estimated 1.57 million. And that was at the time, but today in, in our money, in real money, reckons to be in the region of 43 million. That's one heck of a celebration. Royalty are made a big deal of. There's no doubt there was a serious buzz in London that day. Streets closed, people trying their best to see the Queen, see her golden carriage as it rode down the mile through Trafalgar and down into Westminster. I imagine it would have been the main topic of discussion, not just for that day itself, but for many days preceding and many days following. And in today's passage, which is about Jesus coming to Jerusalem as king, Palm Sunday, which marks in many ways Jesus' beginning, his procession to his coronation. And we read in verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Jesus' arrival caused quite a stir in Jerusalem. The whole city was abuzz at his arrival into town. And today, how we would love to see London, to see St. Mark's, to see the UK stirred by Jesus. But why were they stirred? Why did the city react like this? Before answering the question, I always find it helpful to have some context of where we find our passage to help build a picture of what's going on. And Jesus was heading to Jerusalem for the Jewish Passover feast, along with many of his fellow Israelites. And just before this, Jesus had been going around Israel and had been teaching and healing. In Matthew chapter 20, it finishes with Jesus healing two blind men at the side of the road. We read in the other gospel accounts, and it's widely agreed, that just before Jesus headed for Jerusalem, that he had spent time with Mary and Martha and had raised their brother Lazarus back to life. Because of all that he had said, all that he had done, Jesus had gathered a large following and a lot of interest, lots of people excited by him. Was he the Messiah? But there was also those interested in him who wanted to get rid of him. But Jesus continued to make his entrance to Jerusalem. And it was, as we saw in verse 10, causing that stir. And today's passage gives us a picture of why the people were stirred, why they were stirred then and why we might be stirred today. And the first thing was Jesus' authority. Jesus' authority is presented throughout the Gospels with his teaching on issues both big and small. His kindness, his compassion on people who were forgotten about, his healings, his power over death, and his forgiveness of sin. Jesus was full of authority. And in our passage, we see it with his disciples. Look with me at verse 1. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Can you imagine being in that situation? Go and find a donkey and her coat. 
and bring them to me. And if anyone asks, just say that the Lord needs it and he'll send it. What would that look like today? I tried my best to think of maybe a parallel for what this situation might be. And the best I could come up with was your boss tells you to go down to the corner and to take the car that you find there. And if anyone asks, just say, your boss told you they need it. How many of us would do that? You'd be looking at your boss going, have you lost the plot? Unless you were maybe slightly scared of them, I'm guessing that probably a lot of us or most of us wouldn't follow through and do this job. Or if you did, can you imagine you and your buddy walking up to the guy going, yeah, my, uh, my boss needs the car, and they'd be like, here, you explain, you explain, you explain. And just this, this awful interaction of awkwardness and not knowing what to do. But the disciples do it. They submit to the authority of Jesus. There doesn't appear to be any questions. And it's not done out of fear, but because they trust Jesus. They've journeyed with him for three years. They've seen what he has done. They've seen his healings, his teachings. He loves them and they love him. They know that he is worth following. And when he says, say that the Lord needs it and he will send him right away, they know that Jesus is good to his word. And that is exactly how it will pan out. And it does. There's no issue. The, the disciples go away with the donkey and it's cold. And it's not just the disciples who see his authority and follow him, but those who have witnessed Jesus in action and they now journey with him and follow him and proclaim him as they come into Jerusalem. That's the first reason that a stir is happening in Jerusalem. Most of it through people excited by Jesus' power and authority, but some who weren't so happy about him, who wanted rid of him. And we're going to see more of that as we journey through this Holy Week together. The second reason for there being a stirring in Jerusalem was Jesus' fulfillment of Scripture. The passage that we've read this evening is just full of references to the Old Testament, of prophecies, and then of how Jesus fulfills them. There was a reason Jesus sent his disciples to get a donkey. Look at verse 4, it says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. This is almost a direct quote from the prophet Zechariah, who said in his own letter, that chapter 9, verse 9, See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. He was showing that he is the true Davidic Messiah, the one who they had been foretold about. The Jews were so well read in their Old Testament scripture and would have known exactly what this meant. They would have understood what the prophets had said. There's such detail in Jesus' life on earth, from the prophecies that spoke about him and to then how they're fulfilled. We see this fully in Matthew's letter, his gospel, which is written directly for a Jewish audience. And they would note these words even like daughter Zion, coming from the prophet Isaiah. All of this was relevant to them and is relevant to us today. The Israelites have been dreaming of this day for centuries. That one day their Messiah would come. And that all their worries and strife and enemies would be moved aside. That they would rule over the land that they believed were theirs. 
They believed that they would no longer be oppressed as they had for so many years and that they would be at peace at last. We all know what it's like to wait. Some of us are better than others, but we live in an age where everything comes instantly. I know that when I'm there waiting for a train and there isn't one in the next two minutes, I'm going, come on, come on, I need to go. Or whenever I'm trying to order something online, a next day delivery isn't an option. I get frustrated, particularly when it's my wife's birthday and I need it for the next day. Thankfully, everything arrived last week for it. It was all good. And I'm sure most of you are familiar with that proverb or slogan, good things come to those who wait. The idea of waiting is foreign to us now. But still, that statement rings so true. When I was younger, I I remember that going out for dinner, I used to get so hungry. And I'd always turn to my dad and go, I'm so hungry, I'm starving. And he would turn and look at me very bluntly and go, you're not starving, you eat at lunchtime. Um, But then he would also have this saying that really annoyed me. And he'd say, it's okay to be hungry. Does anybody else, did anyone else's parents ever say that to them? That was one of my dad's favorites. But he was right. The food was always worth the wait when we went out for dinner. But now when dad comes to stay and we're out in London and we're out walking around, we're covering all the steps and he turns, he says, I think we need some food, Marcus. And I'll go, dad, it's okay to be hungry. (laughs) And then we go quickly and get lunch because I'm hungry too. But the good things are worth waiting for. The beautiful sunset, the meal you've been longing for, the right job, the right person. I could go on and on. Patience is good for us as it helps build our gratitude, helps us to develop our ability to keep going in adversity. The Israelites were well versed in patience by now, having waited so long and many having given up hope, giving up believing in this. So if this was who they thought it was, you can understand why there was such a buzz, such a stir in Jerusalem. There's massive celebration when we have royal events. You just look at our royal weddings over the past 10 years. But this is the king of kings we're talking about. Seeing Jesus as king, they reacted as befitting one in their tradition. And that's the third thing we see from this passage. Jesus as king. If you look at verses 8 and 9. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. These were not just spur of the moment reactions that someone decided to do and everyone followed suit. They were well thought through reactions to Jesus as king. The same way our own queen's coronation was well thought out from the guest lists, the security, her carriage, what she would wear, what she would say, when she would say it, the crown, the orb, the scepter. All of these were meticulously planned and had specific meaning for her as her role as queen. And these signs from the Jewish people held that meaning too. The cloaks on the floor symbolized submission to Jesus as king as they had done for their previous kings. And we read about that earlier in the Bible. The branches spread on the road, which were palm branches, hence the name of today, were a Jewish sign of joy and victory. The proclamation of Hosanna, meaning to oh save us. 
a calling to Jesus, the son of the David line, the Messiah to save them. They were celebrating their king, not just someone special, but their king. Their proclamations were so loud, we read in Luke's account of this, Jesus' arrival, that the Pharisees turned to Jesus and said, rebuke your disciples and tell them to be quiet. And Jesus' wonderful response is, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Such is Jesus' authority, such is Jesus as king, that even the rocks will cry out for him. The Jews were proclaiming Jesus as king, but he wasn't the king they were expecting. They expected a military leader to lead them in battle, to lead them in victory over their enemies. But Jesus was not a king of grandeur, arriving on horses or in carriage or processing with an army alongside him. No, Jesus is the humble king, arriving on a donkey colt and made his way humbly to his coronation, as we will see on Good Friday. His coronation not to a crown adorned with jewels, but one made with thorns. Not to a throne that was a seat, but to a cross where he would hang. Jesus came not to give victory over others, but to give victory over sin and death. He is the ultimate king, not far away in a palace, but one who comes and walks with and alongside his people, who takes their burdens upon himself and carries the weight of guilt and sin and shame for each and every one of us. And because of that, we should want to glorify the king, to submit to his authority, that meaning that we relinquish our control and allow Jesus to take the wheel. It means living in his scripture and his truth, his truth, not our truth or my truth, allowing it to shape us in the way that he has planned. Psalm 119 says, how can a young person stay pure? And the simple response is by living according to your word. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We see this from scripture when we bury it deep in our hearts. That's how we submit to God's authority. And secondly, entrusting his promises. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies or promises from the Old Testament. And we can see throughout scripture that Jesus and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are forever fulfilling promises. They may take time as we have seen so many times, but they will take patience, take trust in God. But God keeps on coming through for all these people and he will do the same for you. Jesus promises in John 10 to give us life in all its fullness. He gives us hope, not just for this life, but in the next. And because of all that he has done and all that we have seen through the Bible, we can trust him and his word. Through all of this and all that Jesus has done and will keep on doing, we can worship him as king. The kings and queens of this earth will come and go, but Jesus' reign will never end. Our vision as a church is to see faith rise, church rise, and the city rise. 
and we keep going on and on and saying this and repeating this, and, and you're probably sick of hearing it, but there's a reason we keep on saying it. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus that is our vision, to see faith rise, the church rise, and the city rise in his name. The king who conquered sin on our behalf. The king who rose from the dead. And that same power that rose for him from the dead, he gifts to each and every one of us. I don't know about you, but I think that's worth causing a stir over. That's worth submitting to the authority of Jesus, who rules the nations. That's worth trusting in Jesus, who comes through on his promises again and again. That's worth celebrating and waving palm leaves and shouting Hosanna. And that's what we're going to continue to do after this.